Muy buenas tardes, mi nombre es Rosendo Francinet Domingo Alvarado. Eh, mi nombre es Diego Hoyos. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es eh, Emilio Antonio Medina García. Mi nombre es Pablo Gaspar Vázquez, soy el gerente de la Cooperativa Integral de Oro y Crédito El Sendero. Welcome to Pure Happiness Coffee. Pure Happiness Coffee is a poem, an artwork, and a community dedicated to becoming better stewards of our world's favorite beverage. Each episode of Pure Happiness is a short glimpse into one individual's coffee journey, a journey that, finally, connects us all. The introductions you just heard at the beginning of the episode are from interviews conducted with several producers in Guatemala and Costa Rica by Subtext Coffee out of Toronto, the roasting arm of Boxcar Social. I highly recommend that you visit their Vimeo and YouTube channels to watch these interviews and learn more about Subtext. More on that in a moment. Episode 13, Boxcar Social, Subtext Coffee. Today on Pure Happiness, I'm revisiting a trip I made to Boxcar Social in Toronto, Canada, one of Toronto's best specialty coffee shops and home of one of the most exciting roasters today, Subtext Coffee. Subtext was founded by Alex Castellani in 2020 with the intention of sourcing and roasting the best and most expressive coffees they can find, with the explicit goal of elevating producers. Those voices you heard at the top of the episode are from some of the producers Subtext works with. As Alex relates in an interview with the Roasters Pack, quote, coffee is labor and agriculture. The byproduct is a barely explored bounty of diversity in expression. Now this is something I tend to agree with. The deeper I dive into coffee, the more I realize that because specialty coffee is so new, really only taking off in the last 20 years, we've barely scraped the surface of coffee's potential. And that goes both for flavor expression and economic models. Alex continues, We believe in purposefully transcending coffee's commodified, homogenizing, and exploitative colonial past. We believe some steps in this direction are the proactive, equitable treatment of producers, redefining market value, transparency in sourcing, and a larger approach to evaluating the sustainability of our projects. Now, one of the goals of this Pure Happiness Coffee podcast is to revisit writing I've done in the past in an effort to reflect on my own engagement with specialty coffee and to try and live up to some of the ideals that uh, Alex just expressed. It's also to provide a new point in my own coffee journey to demonstrate how that evolution might look. And it is also to map, in a small, very local way, the evolution of the industry at large. So, as I was reading around for this episode, I was very happy to discover Subtext's gorgeous Vimeo account that now includes several beautifully shot interviews with producers they work with, such as Alejo Castro at Volcan Azul in Costa Rica, Diego Hoyos in Colombia, and Guatemalans Rosendo Domingo, Tony Medina, along with Pablo Vasquez of Sendero Cooperative. You can see the flowers are coming out right now. This will be ne the next season. That was Alejo Castro of Volcan Azul in Costa Rica, who are doing some of the most incredible coffee coming out of Costa Rica. Porque, como todo mundo sabe, está un poco difícil lo que es la economía. Y, bueno, agradecerles por la visita y esperando que sigamos eh, en el negocio y que nos sigan comprando el café. 
And that was Tony Medina in Chimaltenango, Guatemala, explaining that due to the volatile Guatemalan economy, nothing is guaranteed. And despite 32 years in coffee, he expresses hopes that he'll be able to remain in the business. This is something echoed by many producers in coffee around the world today who have seen their businesses crumble as folks seek out better opportunities elsewhere, whether that's in Colombia and Rwanda as young people leave farms for the city with hopes of a more lucrative and sustainable urban life, or in Guatemala, where, as Rosendo Domingo relates, many are migrating to the U.S., like four of his brothers already have. Este año, como productores, hemos tenido bastante dificultades en el tema de, de, de la mano de obra, entonces nos afecta en el, en el costo de producción, porque todos, la mayoría de las personas están migrando para los Estados Unidos. Eh, Pablo Vasquez, general manager of the El Sendero Cooperative, also in Guatemala, spells out the issue in terms we should all pay attention to, because these economic issues are ones that we are all related to, whether we think about them on a day-to-day basis or not. He explains that labor and fertilizer prices in Guatemala have spiked in recent years, causing many in the cooperative to express doubts that they can continue producing coffee if prices for these things stay so high. Pablo also makes the important point that Abstracting the labor price and the fertilizer from the whole life world that is required to sustain a worker is part of the problem. Because to pay workers, you also must be paying their ability to sustain their families, including things like food and medical expenses. La vida del productor, porque no solo el fertilizante, sino que en la mata del café está este todo lo que es gastos familiares, gastos del estudio de los jóvenes y en otras enfermedades. I'm grateful to Subtext and Alex for presenting these videos, and they cause me to continue wanting to think about ways that our economic models must evolve, because finally, we're not unconnected. It almost seems too obvious to say that the price we pay for our coffee in, let's say, the United States, where I'm speaking from, should directly hedge the risk of these small farmers. Only in reality, it doesn't. Now, it should be no surprise that a deep economic divide characterizes the coffee world, a divide that was purposefully created by colonial forces, That divide is also geographic, which seems to separate us more than it should. And that divide is also informational. Think about the way the migrant crisis is covered in the United States as a threat to the United States' sovereignty, rather than a deep expression of a very human and global problem. The problem being that today, our economies are much more connected than they've ever been. The result is that we tend to know very little about the socio-cultural situations from which our coffees arrive from. For example, what the rate of fertilizer might be in Guatemala this year. And while that question does not disturb our day-to-day very much, we might notice a slight uptick in the price of a Guatemalan coffee somewhere, that minute shift on our end 
might spell the transformation of someone and perhaps many people's entire lives on the other end of the supply chain. I want to finish by making a point that seems all too simple. As I related on the last episode, one of the consequences of the development of rapid communications in the early 20th century was the emergence of a stark difference between how fast material goods were able to move and how fast we were able to make deals about those same goods. As futures began being traded more and more in this way, it produced a system where necessarily those who win in it will be able to hedge the most risk, leaving those at the volatile end of growing at a serious disadvantage. We should include in this thinking about communication technology today, especially in our now very global networked environment, a serious problem. While we have the most information available at our disposal in human history, it is also clear that the bulk of the information we receive is highly mediated by troubling entities at best. We live in a world where more than ever text and subtext, that is, what is obvious, what is on the surface, and what is beneath, what is below the surface, what's between the lines, can actually be explored more easily than it has ever been. And yet that same ability, call it the glut of information overload, has left us in a sea of very manipulated information. At the same time, we live in a world where, despite our geographical and economic differences, we're more unified than we've ever been. That is, my actions have consequences around the world in a way that was just impossible thousands of years ago. Meaning that while we might tend toward considering a social world that is the most immediate to our embodied reality of friends, family, city, state, or nation, the fact of the matter is that our social world today unequivocally includes everyone on the planet. The boxcar of the boxcar social, so to speak, is the entire planet Earth. In a world where we can literally know about the on-the-ground needs of a farmer whose coffee we're drinking, it should give us pause how little we know about anything, anywhere, outside the glowing rectangles, rising like prayer candles at stadiums all over the world. May 5th, 2022, Boxcar Social. Wonderful Colombian filter at Boxcar Social Riverside, Toronto, with accompanying empanadas. On a quick trip to Toronto, if one is interested in coffee, Boxcar Social is unmissable, carrying a stellar selection of roasters like Say, Luna, and their own subtext. Alongside the coffee, you'll find great tea and a spectrum of natural-oriented wines, including Pet Nats, from Ontario. The delightful space here at Riverside is mellow and beautiful, and offered a perfect moment a reflection on a hot doc screening of Michael Holboom's Freedom from Everything, a wandering video essay loosely in conversation with Hito Steirel's essay of the same name, a melange of footage, animation, voiceover, and cavernous sound design. Holboom paints a picture of a diffuse relational web oriented around the neoliberal desire 
to be free from everything, free from even having a good job, which is ever the more impossible in our ever-intensifying gig economy, and even free from society itself, as Margaret Thatcher infamously put it, with the purpose of emphasizing the individual. For the ultra-neoliberal, society doesn't exist, only single people. With cameos from the immortal David Wojnarowicz and James Baldwin, the doc relates the AIDS epidemic to COVID in striking and surprising ways surrounding Holboom's own personal experience. The insidious fantasy of an autonomous freedom from everything, where a unitized individual struggles against the world, is like a perversion of Kurosawa's Ronin, has become recuperated by the gig economy, an economic model predicated on mercenary individuals in cutthroat competition with one another, with no allegiance to anything but the next paycheck. The video essay, and maybe the podcast, is a form well-suited for presenting connections that easily refute this claim, demonstrating the affectual and factual interrelations of life with all. There is no outside this racist, oppressive economic system, even for the most singular lone wolf who might like to pretend that they rise above it. No, like this writing of Pure Happiness Coffee, a hopeful future to come relies on the stark admission of our interdependence, beyond state or country, perhaps even beyond the category human. Happiness is not local to the individual human psyche. In fact, I think it might be the invasion of the psyche by a wish without object, a signless aura of desire released from the obligation to work. True happiness would only be possible with its attendant understanding of happiness for all. Thank you for listening. <laughs>